Well, good morning, everyone. Morning, everyone. Oh, that sounds a little bit better. Thank you. It's good to see you too. That's what I was fishing for. Oh, I'm always asking for something. I just want to know that you're alive, that's all. Good to see you. We've been away for a few weeks. And by the way, welcome to those who might be watching online. It's always good to have people watching online. And, uh, but it is good to be here. I think. <laughs> see, today, the 30th of August, before COVID happened... We were due to be getting on a cruise liner today in Vancouver, Canada and heading up side passage to Alaska today. So if I get a little bit distracted during the sermon, you'll know that I'm somewhere between here and Alaska. But having said that, I wouldn't be in any other place just right now. It's just so good to be here. (laughs) Did that sound sincere? Good old Glenn Osmond, I love it. Now listen, Gav has asked me to speak on this passage in Mark 10. Who can enter in? Pretty bold sort of question, isn't it? Before we get into the passage and we start looking at the the text, I want you to go back to what I call a price tag moment. Okay, you've gone shopping, you've gone looking for a new jumper, you've gone looking for a new TV, you've gone looking for something and, and you're hunting around the place and finally you see what you're looking for. And when you see it, you realise that's exactly what I want. And then comes that I can't leave the shop without it moment. And really there's only one thing that stands in the way and you know what it is. And so in your head, you've got an idea of what the price tag is going to be and you fumble around for that ticket and you turn it over and you can't believe the difference between what you think it's worth and what they're charging. And the first thing you've got to decide is, how am I going to explain this to my wife? (laughs) What kind of excuses are I going to come up to? Because I've already decided I'm not leaving this shop without this thing. So it's either the TV or my wife. That's why we've got a 55-inch TV at home. (laughs) Price tag moments. Do you know what a price tag moment is? A price tag moment is simply this. What is this thing worth to me? Is it worth it? Is it worth the tag that's there to say, I will pay whatever is on that price tag because I need it that much? Well, let's have a look at the story. And I think you guys... I've all got young preachers because my eyeballs can hardly read this but I'll, I'll start reading at verse 17. I think it's up there. It says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a little boy. So here's a guy. We know him as a rich, young ruler and he's shopping for eternal life, if I can put it that bluntly. 
And you know, the first thing I noticed about this guy is that he starts with the right posture, but he asks the wrong question. Isn't that fascinating? So when he kneels before Jesus, he's not so much kneeling in worship, he's kneeling out of mutual respect between one good man and another good man. Because he knows he's good. He knows he's good. That's why he says to Jesus, good teacher. You know what he's really saying is? From one good man to another good man. Let me ask you a question. Is there something I've missed? And and you know what I think this man is expecting Jesus to say? What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? I think he wants Jesus to say, well, my good man. Nothing. You're well on the way. (laughs) Look at all. I know the kind of man you are. You are well and truly on the path to eternal life. Instead, Jesus kind of throws in this little statement that seems a bit pedantic. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. Now, Jesus is not trying to be cute here. He's not trying to strike this guy out with a technical foul. I think, I think what he's really saying to him is, man, here you are, I want you to do a little bit of thinking. And here's the first thing I want you to think about. Do you know who you're talking to? Good thing for us to remember when we come to worship every week. Do we know who we're worshipping? Do we know what, who it is that we're saying these things to? Do we think we come as mutual buddies, so to speak, on the same level as this man did? Or do we realise that what Jesus is saying is, I want you to start thinking about who you're talking to because I am none other than the Son of God. And then Jesus lightens up a bit and he, he mentions all these commandments that we, we read there. And all of a sudden the young fellow feels more relaxed. He says, oh man, I've I've done all them. Have a look at verse 18. Well, actually verse 20 we'll go to. Yeah. Teacher, he says, all of these things I've kept since I was a little boy. Do you know what he's really saying is, I I can bargain on that. Like, if that's the rules, I'm in. If that's the requirements, I'm part of it. When it comes to ticking boxes, he had traction and he had leverage. You know, there's two things about this young man. We'll call him a rich young man, this rich young ruler. There's two things that stood in the way of him and the kingdom of God and they are so common to every human being that's ever lived. First one is he had a lack of understanding. I want you to write that down, a lack of understanding. He, he didn't understand the heart of God and he didn't understand his own heart. That's part of the problem we have as human beings. We overstate our own heart and we understate the heart of God. We don't treat God as God and we don't treat ourselves as sinful people who need a God like God. 
We intrinsically, and I know this might sound very basic, but I hope not, we intrinsically come back to this thought that righteousness is a matter of squaring off with God, ticking boxes, making ourselves irresistible. So God looks and says, wow, how can I, how, how can I run my kingdom without Neil? <laughs> how can I do it without Jeff? How can I do it without Glenn Osmond? It is deeply ingrained into our system that we think that's how it works. And you know the funny part about it is, under Judaism, the, the Old Testament law and the religion of the Jews, this rich young ruler would have already been regarded as righteous. Because... If you remember the Old Testament lays a great emphasis on if, if you do the right thing, God says, I'll bless you. If you do the wrong thing, God says, I'll curse you. And so where people were prosperous and wealthy, the Jews thought, man, this person must be righteous. And the wealthier they were, the more exotic sacrifices they could bring to the temple and the more money they could put in the coffers and the average person would look at these people and go wow how righteous they are these people are front runners in the kingdom of God interesting isn't it you see this young man is not so much doubting his place in eternity what he's doing he's coming to Jesus and he's saying him how do I hit the ground running in eternity so that I've got the same authority the same power and the same control when I get into eternity as I've got now that's what he's asking what do do I got to do so that I don't lose ground once I get into eternity let me put it as simply as I possibly can the kingdom of God is not about ticking boxes Look, I could go back through my entire life and my entire ministry to see how our our world lives with this reality. We live with it. The church lives with it. Back when I was first going into ministry, it was at the very beginning of the Pentecostal revival or the charismatic renewal. Call it what you like. And I remember thinking I was uh, a very happy Christian because I loved Jesus and, and I had the Holy Spirit living in me until I was told I hadn't had the second blessing. And I thought, what, what's the second blessing when the first blessing Paul says, you are complete in Christ and now I'm not complete. There's another box to tick. And then my cousin became a Christian and she went to a church where she was told, you're not even a Christian unless you're spoken in tongues. And then she said, I'll teach you how. I said, how does that work? <laughs> another box to tick. And so it goes on. I had a friend of mine who was a rabid premillennialist. Do you know what that is? Don't worry about it. <laughs> but he told me, if you don't believe this whole system of prophecy, you, you don't even bother to call yourself a Christian. Another box to tick. I had to be a premillennialist. And, and you won't believe this, but at the heart of at the beginning of my ministry, I had 26 books on divorce and remarriage. 
Because the big issue was, if a Christian divorces and remarries, are they committing adultery? And are they even a Christian? Another box to tick. And in recent days, we've been arguing, can you be a homosexual and a Christian? Another box to tick. Man, it goes on. I could keep you here all day. You know, when I read this story, I couldn't help thinking of the voice. Do you all watch the voice? Shame on you. (laughs) That was a trick question. (laughs) I love the voice. I love the blind additions. Do you know why? Because all the judges have got their backs turned to the performer. And you know what? That performer has to do something outstanding to get them to hit that big red button and turn around and say, I want you. And you've seen the show. What happens when that happens? The relief that they wanted. But some of them don't. Some of them don't have the judges turn around and so they're left standing there on the stage with the very clear message, you're not good enough. You didn't make it. Nobody wants you. It's back to singing Unchained Melody at your cousin's wedding. Off you go. You know, listen to me. The truth is, even here this morning, the truth is, deep down inside, every human being spends their life auditioning our hearts out for acceptance and approval of people. Kids do it with their parents. They just want their parents to say, I love you no matter what. I've seen grown men looking for it from their father. Am I doing okay? Have I made it? I've seen successful businessmen and, and, and people of great achievement look to their peers and say, am I doing okay? Have I ticked the box? Have I got there yet? And somehow this drifts into our church and we think we have to get God's attention so that God will turn around and say, I want you. You've performed well. It's hideous. That's why I love the little passage before this. Jesus has been talking about little children. He said in verse 15, he said, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a, what? Little child will never enter in. Do you know what strikes me about that? Little children don't have CVs. They haven't done enough good things. They haven't got a great list of accomplishments that they can go to God and say, you impressed? Will you turn around now? Will you hit the red button? Will you let me into the kingdom of God? God says, they're just kids. They've only got one thing. They need me. Jesus says to this guy, you need to know you need me. No boxes to tick. Second thing, what was the first thing he lacked? He lacked understanding. That's good because I was going to go back and give that point all over again if you didn't have that. The second and last point is this. He lacked humility. 
By the way, I'm not critical of this guy. I said what he lacked, every single human being lacks. He lacked humility. Look at verse 21. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. How I love that. He loved him. Why? Because he was a rich young ruler? No, he just loved him. He didn't have to turn around. He just loved him. And he says to him, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasures in heaven. And then come and follow me. And this man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Here's the price tag moment. See, he came to Jesus with an idea of what Jesus would say and when Jesus talks about the price, it's way more than he ever anticipated. And in a split second, he said, it's not worth that. See, this man came along thinking it was all about performance and he saw that the price tag was all about control because as soon as he gave away his money to the poor, he no longer had the currency of control. He just became like everybody else. Isn't that terrible when you start realising you're just like everybody else? <laughs> it's a terrible thing. And that's why this story is not primarily about money. I mean, the world thinks the church has a problem with rich young rulers. It's just not true. Jesus knew this man's problem was money. That's why he talks to him about it. And I, I want to say this, just in case you're wondering this morning, there is no intrinsic righteousness in poverty and there's no intrinsic judgment in wealth. Sometimes I think we kind of elevate poverty as if it's kind of, uh, you know, sort of righteousness. Poverty is something we need to address, but it's not righteousness. There's nothing righteous about being poor and needy, and there's nothing ungodly about being wealthy. The issue for all of us, rich or poor, male or female, religious or atheist, Jew or Gentile, is control. Who has control of my life? Who controls my thoughts, my decisions, my plans, the reason I live, my future, my past, my present? Who's in control? My fears, my loves, I don't know. Do you know I remember preaching this passage when I was at Bible college? Man, I look back at some of those old Bible college sermons and I've thrown them away, but I used to love preaching this passage. You know why? Because I could preach it from the heart. I could say to people, Jesus may come to you and tell you to sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. Do you know why I could say that with great passion? Because I had nothing. <laughs> no money. No possessions. And so I used to preach it with great enthusiasm. It's a bit different when you're rich. When Jesus comes and says, I know where your identity is. I know where you feel good about yourself. 
I know you like to lord it over them because every now and then you pull out on the rich young ruler thing. I know you like to be in control. Jesus says, all I want to do is take that control away so that I can be in control of your life. And so what Jesus asked for this man was not his money, but humility. And he went away sad, the Bible says. Have a look in verse 23, we'll finish here. He went away sad to his disciples. How hard is it to for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. Remember, the rich, the wealthy, the prosperous were already in the kingdom of God, so to speak, according to Judaism. And so they said, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a cat to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God if he won't give it up. And the disciples were even more amazed and they said to each other, who then can be saved? Fascinating, isn't it? Folks, if you're just rousing out of a coma now, listen to this. <laughs> Here's the heart of the gospel. Who then can be saved? If your riches, if your righteousness, if your box ticking, if your whatever it is you're performing in won't get you into heaven, what on earth will? Well, that's the heart of the gospel. There is every hope for the unlikely undeserving, unrighteous to enter the kingdom of God but it's got nothing to do with you and your performance and your box ticking because Jesus says here with man it is impossible but with God all things are possible. Incredible turnaround isn't it? You know, <clears throat> I was at a, sh uh, a shop this week, just at the checkout, and I was standing ready to be served, and a lady wanted to get past me to pick up a woman's day from the shelf. Why she'd want to do that, I have no idea. But she came up to me and she said, oh, I'm so sorry, can I get past you? And when she said that, the man in front of me, very cool, hip-looking fellow, he turned around and he said to me, everybody's sorry today. We're sorry about everything. Sorry that we're breathing. Sorry that I think differently of you. Sorry that I'm buying a woman's day. I thought, whoa. <laughs> this guy's got a problem. Anyhow, by then he went and got served and I said to the lady, have a good day. And as I kind of walked out, I was thinking about this guy. And I thought, he's partly true. He's a bit of a wacko. <laughs> but I thought, there is one thing we really do need to be sorry about, isn't there? Lord, I'm sorry that I think I can bargain with you. Oh, I'm sorry that I think eternal life is about ticking boxes or negotiating as equals. You know, uh, Aubrey de Graff once said this, don't cling to a mistake just because you've spent a lot of time making it. <laughs> you know, most of us spend all of our lives thinking, God, you must be impressed by now. God says, no, no more impressed than I was way back then. This is not about remuneration. It's about an invitation. And I just want to encourage us this morning, all of us, just to spend a moment and hear Jesus offering to us 
as he says, the first to last and the last a first. All that's really saying is don't think of yourself as at the end because I want you now as you are. Let's just pray. Just spend a moment in quietness and let, let's say sorry for our box ticking. Let's say sorry that even in our Christian world we can't shake off this sense that we're more loved because we do well. Help us to thrive with grace, to get excited about grace, to want to grow through grace. And that when we have some successes along the way and some joys and some victories that we'll give thanks for the grace of God that is at work in us through Jesus and through that Holy Spirit who is wanting to purify and to change us to be more like Jesus. Father, I thank you for that little phrase in that passage. And Jesus loved this man. My heart goes out to him too because I can relate to him. We're all performers. And we need something of that tax collector who came one day to Jesus and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. They are the ones who enter in. And I pray that we'd enter into that grace this morning with joy, with peace, with hope and with excitement as to what this brings. Hear our prayer for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.